But when we would spend time focusing on Jesus and how we, enc- how we encountered him, that changed everything. And it really does change everything, and trust can be built from there. And so how does that change our leadership, and why does trust matter so much? I don't know who said this, but somebody far smarter than me. Mm-hmm. Teams travel at the speed of trust. Wow. And so often we take good ideas, programs, best practices, and everything else, and we just try to implement them. Because trust takes time. It's an investment. It's risky. But trying to bring about parish transformation without trust is impossible. It is not sustainable. You might get early wins, but you will bottom out Hmm. every time. Welcome to the Ron Huntley Leadership Podcast, helping leaders be a positive catalyst on the people they support, the organizations they serve, and the communities they live. This podcast will make you think, laugh, and grit your teeth with new determination to make your parish or business a place of transformation, passion, and purpose. If you're still breathing, you are powered for impact. Welcome back to the Ron Huntley Leadership Podcast. My name is Christian Huntley, and we're doing something a little bit different today. I'm actually your host, uh, and we've got our guest as my dad, Ron. Um, <laughs> welcome to your own podcast. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks for the hospitality. Yeah, no, <laughs> hey, that's what I'm here for, right? Absolutely. Um, yeah, so we are doing a little, something a little bit different today. Um, we were, were chatting with the leadership team a little bit a little while back, and we have amazing guests on every week on this podcast, uh, but we realized that um, there's a lot of insights that you come across as a leadership coach in the global church um, that you don't necessarily get a chance to speak into directly True. when you're, when you're hosting. And uh, actually, this isn't our first time doing this. <laughs> We've recorded this a couple of times, and it's hard to be a host. Um, it's, hard, it's hard to be a host and and kind of keep the conversation moving. And, and so we wanted to give you the opportunity to do that. And I say it's not our first time. We've recorded this episode twice now. <laughs> this will be number two. Yeah, so hopefully this is the one that you guys see and hear. Technology is a beast, but we're getting better at it yeah. one episode at a time. Yeah, that being said, if you're listening on audio, um, we're on YouTube now. Uh, this conversation is, is actually being done in person in our basement, and you can go watch it uh, at Ron Huntley Leadership Coaching is the name of the channel. Uh, and it should be up there, well, as you're listening, obviously. So, yeah, feel free to head on over there and, yeah. and subscribe. And it helps us out a lot. And leave a comment, too, on um, what what stands out to you, uh, how we could be better in, in, in what we're doing. Yeah, it's uh, it's fun for us. So, yeah, feel free to go check that out. Um, this is the first of hopefully many conversations between the two of us. Mm. Um where you get to, we get to dive into topics that are close to your heart, and today's topic is the encounter story. Mm. Um, do you want to preface that topic for us? Explain what it means. Certainly, it's one of the things that you know. Your encounter story really is the place of the burning bush, like your burning bush moment, or your road to Damascus, <laughs> getting knocked off the horse. And I know that's an issue for us as cradle Catholics because for many of us, we've just grown up gradually in faithfulness, in faithful families. And that's amazing. Isn't that what we want for everyone's kids? And so if you're one of those people that have been blessed by that, good on you. And yet at the same time, if there isn't a place or a time or a moment in your life where you know that you are closer to God than ever before, and, and you, you can articulate that, if you can't articulate that, that's problematic to your leadership because you're 
encounter with Jesus is transformative and it's contagious. And if you lose sight of that in the midst of the busyness and the whirlwind of ministry, you will be less contagious and less impactful as a leader. And time and time again, what I see us doing as leaders in the church, and that's whether you're a clergy or a, a volunteer lay leader, if you're not in touch with your encounter story, then you're probably going to be functioning as a professional Christian, and that is far less motivating and inspiring. It's certainly not going to lead to parish renewal. And so in my work with with clergy and, and lay leaders, I really want to help them get in touch with that time in their life where they felt closest to God and begin to put language around that, put themselves back in that situation, because it's that burning bush moment that intimacy with God that will drive renewal and transform lives. Short of that, we're just doing good things as a good person with good intentions, but we're called to way more than that, and it really does start with our encounter story. Awesome. Yeah, that's exciting. Mm. Let's, uh, let's dive in. Okay. Um, can you tell us about yours? Yeah, sure. Um, as I do, you know, I'm very mindful of a, a bishop we used to have in Halifax. His name was Bishop James Hayes. And um, he was standing outside one day, and an evangelical Christian, who we love those people too, of course, and that was coming by. He knew he was the Catholic bishop, and so he said to him, hey, Brother James, or hey, Brother Hayes, didn't even refer to him as a bishop, and, and said, have you been born again? Kind of sticking it to him a little bit. <laughs> and his response was gold. He said, yes, I have many times. I just thought that was such a beautiful way of speaking into how God prunes our branches. You know, any gardener that prunes the rose bush, you don't just do it once. It, you get prune over and over again to have the healthiest plant possible. And I believe that it's certainly my experience, too, that God has, I've encountered God in profound and significant ways multiple times in my life. I would say one of my first most transformative experiences when I was, was when I was 16. I was on a retreat that my mom asked me to go to and didn't really want to go, but it was really important to her, and I was really struggling at that point in time. And, and so I went, and that weekend was a game changer for me, uh, being around a bunch of other young men who were Catholic, and I, they probably wanted to be there as, as little as I did. And yet the leaders who put on the retreat just made it fun. And we were hearing talks from people who are our own age, which was really surprising. I didn't know anybody cared. Uh, and they seemed to care. And what they had to say was really engaging. And the conversations that ensued at our tables was really fun. I got to know the people at my table. Of, of One of them was Father James Mallon. At the, yeah. <laughs> oddly enough, that's where we became friends. But I'll never forget that Saturday night. It'd been a whole day of hearing talks and singing and all that fun stuff, and a whole night before of staying up too late prank, playing pranks on your buddies. And um, but then when it came time to that prayer, that prayer time, that reflection time, it was really special. And, and I remember looking up at the cross and seeing Jesus on the cross and realizing, in a very profound way, that He died for me. I always knew that He died for the sins of the world. And I always knew I went to church, and so I was probably in the right crowd, or at least I had hoped I was. But I felt like a, an anonymous. I felt like I was in the crowd, but I was anonymous. But that night, it was like he was looking at me personally. 
And as he did, I was aware of my sinfulness, my brokenness, the ways I was treating my mom, the ways I was treating my teachers, my selfishness. And I struggled with that because I thought to myself, Jesus, why didn't you ask me if you could die for my sins? Because I didn't ask you to. I wouldn't have asked you to because I knew I wasn't worth it. And and I just became aware of my unworthiness and, and the unbelievably unbelievable sacrifice of Jesus for me. And it just washed away my brokenness, my bitterness, my shame. A lot of the things I didn't even know I was struggling with, really. And I remember just weeping and being healed at the same time. And there was this, that was the first time I, I, I guess I would say that the intimacy of him knowing my name really struck me. And the power of his solving my sin problem, my guilt problem, became very real and transformative. And, and that was a game changer. That was the first time that I'd ever experienced Jesus personally. And the Holy Spirit just washed over me. Yeah, it was awesome. Mm. Yeah, so cool. Drives my behavior. That changed me. I many years of making mistakes and doing dumb things as I went into university and really struggled to figure out what it meant to be a man and and so forth and 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 finding role models that were better suited for the call that God had on my life. But, you know, thankfully God's patient and as I worked through that stuff with the help of others, I always came back to that moment in my life where Jesus became very real and and I knew he knew me mm. <laughs> by name. Yeah. 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 And like you said, like, I think the goal is multiple encounter stories over the course of a lifetime, right? Yeah. Like, like God continues to, to prune us. Yeah. Um, and so it's interesting that, that that's the first of many. Mm. Um, how has articulating that affected your faith? Mm. You know, one of the most powerful things that we can do is speak. It's one thing for something to happen to us. It's another thing for us to tell somebody else. The spoken word is powerful. That was one of the major concepts of the transformation that took place at St. Benedict Parish. We created all kinds of platforms throughout the church for people to tell their stories, to tell a story of faith, not necessarily their life story, but a faith story. And we worked that into all kinds of different parts of what it meant to be engaged in the game plan at St. Benedict Parish. Because most Sundays, the only person speaking about faith is the priest. (laughs) Actually, most weeks, the only person speaking about their faith is the priest. And in the Catholic circles, we don't often expect anybody to talk about their faith and or give them platforms to learn how. And so for me, the more I tell my story, the more I share my story, the more real it becomes, the more convicted I am of the very words that are coming out of my mouth and going back into my ears. It makes me accountable to others as to what happened to me. And so I think when any of us go on telling our story, we get convicted of the power of God in our lives. You know, Scripture tells us, go on telling the good works of the Lord. You know, don't 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 let it die. I remember one time speaking somewhere, and this older lady came up to me, and she must have related to some part of the message that I shared, and, and she went on to tell me the craziest stories I'd ever heard about God doing incredible miracles in her life. I was gobsmacked, best stories ever. And I looked at her, and I said, Tell me that you tell these stories all the time. 
And she said, you're the first person in my life I've ever shared these stories with. And I'm thinking this woman was probably in her 70s. And she has family and kids and grandkids and neighbors. And, and none of them know this story. And I realized we don't give people platforms to tell their stories in the church. In fact, you know, when I coach, sometimes I coach into groups of priests. I often do that. I have a course called The Six Fundamentals of Parish Transformation. And, and one of the things that we do is we ask people to share their encounter story. And it's not always easy. And a lot of them have said to me, really, right up front, nobody's ever asked me before. They asked me my vocation story. How did I come to the priesthood? But nobody asks me my encounter story with Jesus. And so some of them struggle with it a lot. And it's okay. But they also said, you know, when we get together as priests, we often complain about the bishop. <laughs> and I'm sure bishops get together and complain about the priest. I don't know. Or maybe the pope. I don't know. But it's not uncommon for us to... to to degrade the conversation to complaining or what we share in common in terms of frustrations. But they said, when we get together and share our encounter story with each other, that changes the nature of our brotherhood as priests. Mm. And I just realized I I didn't know they didn't do that. I, I didn't know that these spaces weren't created for them to tell their story. And I often ask, what was it like to share? What was it like to listen? And there's a level of intimacy that happens between each other when we know one another's story. Mm-hmm. And so that's why knowing your encounter story is such an important part of your leadership as a pastor. Know your story, not just your vocation story, but your encounter story, so that you can share it. It's powerful. Yeah. How about you? What's your what's your encounter story? Yeah, well, I was going <laughs> to say, like, the, you, you were just talking about the intimacy that comes from sharing that. Mm. Um, and I, I think it's because you have to dig deep for it. If you're going to articulate something that's so, it, it's at the heart of our faith, right? Like that encounter story with Jesus. Like um, when we when we really come into an awareness of his presence for the first time or, or after, um is hard to articulate. And I remember the first time I was asked to do that, or, well, we can go back to my uh, encounter story first, is is um, I grew up a cradle Catholic, right? Like, you and mom were always very involved in the church, and um, I liked going. Like, I had, I had friends there, and um, it was fun. I don't know if I was exactly cooperative in getting there on time every week, but it was <laughs> it was what it was. I knew, I knew all the words to all the prayers and all the songs, and I was pretty good at going to church i would <laughs> i would say and um and then i was uh invited to go uh on a weekend retreat uh, at steubenville and um it was just kind of the logical next step and i i went and my friends did and uh, i remember being on my knees in adoration on the second day of the retreat and just seeing like 700 other youth mm. um, doing the same thing and i was like this is this is relevant for me you mm. know like this um this could make sense, you know, like it's not just something I do on once a week or, um, it, it has the ability to impact the rest of my life too. And, and so I opened up my heart to Jesus for the first time and, um, and significantly felt him come in there. Like I, I, there was a shift from, from my faith being in my head to it being in my heart. And that was the first time, uh, that I, that that's the that's the time I would go back to and say like my life shifted at that point and so from the next year I went back to that um, same conference 
Um, but I did this lead up retreat. That's part of it. It's, it's kind of a, a deeper dive into your faith and, um, called lead. And that's where I was asked to first articulate my story. And it was really hard because I, I hadn't defined my faith as like a bang, I'm converted. And now my life is different. Like it was a series of, like, it wasn't the first time that I invited Jesus into my heart. It was the first right. time that, um, I felt him come in and, and it changed the trajectory of like down my faith is my own kind of thing. Um, but I hadn't, I thought about that yet. Like I, I just, I just assumed that like, this is how everyone's story goes. Right. And so I was challenged to, to, to pick a moment when I felt closest to Jesus and, and articulate it in front of everyone else in the retreat, <laughs> like 15 people in, in, uh, in the lead group or whatever. And, and then I was asked to articulate it in front of the whole conference, which is like 700 and that's a little bit scarier and you, <laughs> you kind of got to tweak it up and make sure it's, it's tight. And, um, but it was, it was crazy. Like I really had to take ownership of my story right? and, and get to the heart of why I was here. Um, and why is that different from just going to church? Because you are good at going to church. Why is, it's interesting, isn't it? Like mm-hmm. that, that sounds different for you and for me. Is this like, it's more vulnerable. I can go and get lost in the back of the church, mm, right? Point. And and I can I can say there's something beautiful about uh, about uh, being in community and celebrating with with the group. Yes. Um, but then there's the level of intimacy that that's it's hard to get there. You know that was um, one of the big parts of lead was just being comfortable, being vulnerable, and and when you can do that, like that's that's where God comes to meet you a lot of the times. Um, and mm. it, it, yeah, I don't know. It, people's guard is down when, when you are vulnerable with them. Like it's, it's just a, it's a different space to communicate in. Mm. Um, well, I'm, I'm glad you say that because that's the point of the exercise. That's the point of this podcast. That's the point of choosing this as a topic to really dive into is that when we get intimate with God, when we get intimate with one another, it changes the nature of the relationship. You see, parish renewal is all about relationships. It's, it's relational. It's not linear. It's not a set of practices. It, it's a depth of, of trust and love that's what changes lives. That's what's changing the church. That's what changes parish. That's what changes diocese. It's that intimacy, that trust, that love. And if we're building on anything other than our encounter with Jesus Christ, I think we're missing the point. And so when I do these sessions with the priests, again, I, I never grow tired of hearing people's stories. <laughs> like, I... Never grow tired of it. And I never grow tired of watching someone tell their story, like watching them, because I see it shifts. It's because they see how people listen. And they know it's making a difference. And that feels different. And as I watch that with their brother priest, I always ask them at the end of that, can you do me a favor? Can you have three encounter conversations over the next two weeks with anybody, with a family member, with a core volunteer, with a fellow priest? Have the conversation and just ask somebody at what point. Again, if, if somebody's come from no faith, they'll often have a, an, like a powerful encounter story, like a St. Paul story. <laughs> I was persecuting Christians, and now I'm evangelizing. Um, for cradle Catholics, that's not often the case. 
And so it can be a little more difficult to pinpoint that place, but it doesn't mean it's not there. And if it's not there, I want you to know it's okay. But pray to God that he reveals himself to you in a way that's intimate, personal, and powerful. And don't stop praying until it happens. I think it was Pope Benedict who said our faith isn't a set of morals, isn't a set of rules, it's not a set of practices. It's about an encounter with the person of Jesus. Mm. Mm. And, And so... And yet, when you're brought up in the faith, it can be all those other things, and they're not bad in and of themselves. They're just incomplete. And once we experience and encounter Christ, or when we re, we dust that off and, and bring it to life again, it gives us purpose, passion, and power. And and that's we need to lead from a place of pers- <laughs> passion, purpose, and power. There it is. Because if we're not, we're not going to influence. We're not going to influence just because of our role or our or our position. Mm. Authority isn't the best form of leadership anymore. Influence is. And you're going to want to influence from a place of encounter. And people know the difference between what you say is important to you and what is important to you. Mm. Yeah, so I, I keep hearing the, the theme of, of trust um, and, and getting to the heart of, of leading from the heart of your, your faith. I mm-hmm. guess is this encounter story. Um, so yeah, like, can you, can you speak into how that applies in a leadership context? Like mm. why is trust so important and why is um, this, hmm, it, the heart of it? Why? Hmm, we might have to cut this part out. Let me ask That's this question okay. again. No, we won't <laughs> cut it out. <laughs> this is how hard it is to be a host sometimes. Uh, You're doing a great job. Fair <laughs> enough. Yeah. Um, yeah, I want to know why um, leading from the heart, or what what is the effect on tr- that that leading from the heart has on trust? Mm-hmm. I guess in a leadership context, everything yeah. because you know you and I could talk about youth ministry and and maybe you're more in touch with it than I am because I'm older than you, but doesn't mean I don't have an opinion. And so if we're sharing opinions. That's one level of communicating, um, and. And we can get caught up in the details of our opinions and perspectives. But when we bring that lower, when we go further down to the core of who you are and who I am, then we can build up from a common ground. But oftentimes we don't go to that common ground. We start with from a place of, well, we should do this, well, you should do that. Well, how, you know, and, and it's just not as stable. But when we go to a place of your encounter with God, I can't argue with that. <laughs> it's, and it's usually profound and beautiful. And, and, and it and it's a generous display of intimacy and vulnerability. And when I can match that, then we're going to start with a friendship that's really rooted in Christ, not our ideas or what we think should is the best idea. And so all the time, let me give you an example of it. When I was in my role at St. Benedict Parish as the you know, director of pastoral ministries, I called the director of making people awesome. That was my, <laughs> which is my far, far preferred title. When I would get ministry leaders in, I would get them to come in with somebody that was really close to them that they really enjoyed doing ministry with, so that when they left, they could talk about what they heard and what they experienced. And I would always start with, "Tell me that moment in your life where you felt closest to Christ," and I would listen for as long as it took. And again, most of them had never been asked that question in their entire life. And sharing it was something that they appreciated doing. 
And then I was able to reciprocate and tell my story. Well, that changed the whole nature of the rest of the conversation because they thought they were coming in to you know, be evaluated on how they're doing in ministry or, or complain about the problems and why the church doesn't announce their stuff enough and so on and so forth. They came in with thinking we're talking tactics, mm. but we weren't. I mean, we did, but when we talked about those tactics from a place of trust, it changed everything. Mm. And not everybody that came into that office throughout those weeks I was meeting with, did I start from with a place of trust? In fact, some of it was a place of advers- uh, you know, conflict. Mm. But when we would spend time focusing on Jesus and how we, enc- how we encountered him, that changed everything. And it really does change everything, and trust can be built from there. And so how does that change our leadership, and why does trust matter so much? I don't know who said this, but somebody far smarter than me. Mm-hmm. Teams travel at the speed of trust. And so often we take good ideas, programs, best practices, and everything else, and we just try to implement them. Because trust takes time, it's an investment, it's risky. But trying to bring about parish transformation without trust is impossible. It is not sustainable. You might get early wins, but you will bottom out Hmm. every time. And so when I coach, I often see different levels of trust are required at different levels of impact we're always we're going to run into a series of glass ceilings and on the other side of that glass ceiling is a breakthrough and usually what it requires is intimacy further intimacy and further trust within the team yeah and uh yeah it's normal it's not easy it takes a lot of courage but trust and intimacy are really the essence of transformation and making sure that we, when we disagree to always go back to what we share in common and it better be Jesus. If yeah. we're, if we're doing renewal in the church, that's a really place, good place to go back to from time to time. Right. It's the foundation. Mm. Right? And if you have that foundation, then you can talk about best practices that support that. Yeah. Right. And, and I feel like it would have a lot more staying power if that's the case. Mm-hmm. Um, what effect have you seen uh, on leaders that you've worked with in terms of staying power when they're leading from the heart as opposed to when they're not? Well, it, it's, it's night and day. Um, it's literally night and day. I know we're going to talk about lots of other topics as, right. we, as we break them open. But, you know, it starts from that place of, of transformation. And, and again, when I see it in churches, when, or sorry, when I see it in the presbyterate, when I see priests having that conversation with each other, it changes the nature of their relationship, which I really appreciate. You know, the brotherhood of the priesthood has so much capacity to encourage and strengthen. It's not always experienced that way, but I think everyone individually desires it. And I think that's a, a great place for that to to take root and, and begin and to build up from there. Um, how has that changed churches? Actually, in all the coaching I do, <laughs> vulnerability is a big part of what we do. And so, you know, I, I've heard it said one time, and I'll have to look it up, but it was a, I was doing a talk one time for Alpha, and it was one of the slides that you could use, but it was optional. The first time I read it, I thought, oh, that's terrible. It's from the 1960s. I got rid of it. And then I was going back, getting ready to give the talk itself. I was going through my slides, and I saw one that was hidden. So I brought it out again. I read it again. I thought, that's amazing. <laughs> Same slide. <laughs> I was a knucklehead. But it talked about the stages, the psychological stages of a, 
of a team. It's forming, storming, norming, performing, and adjourning. And so storming is when we don't get along. And nobody likes it. And the and the goal isn't that we don't storm. We're human beings. We're going to disagree, hurt each other, and disappoint each other. Like, let's just admit it. It's going to happen. The goal isn't to make sure that doesn't happen. It makes sure that the goal is to make sure we do it well. And so to do that well, we need to form intentionally. So in the coaching that I do with the clients is we do spend a fair bit of time talking about the things that make us great and the Achilles heels, areas in our lives that there are patterns and root uh, patterns in our own behavior that has a negative impact on the teams that we serve on. Okay. And we talk about that. And so we do talk about and we help them begin to have conversations that are very real, very vulnerable, and very honest. Because if we can own our stuff, if we can be aware of our stuff and own our stuff, when we do it again, and we will, we can maybe apologize faster, take ownership faster, and people can trust us more. Because again, trust is the key to having great teams, high-performance teams, where we're not just doing our job but we're a family that has each other's backs and together we do great things and make great decisions. And so um, that changes everything. The counter story is part of that equation. It's not the whole equation. Yeah. Awesome. So we've talked about it in the leadership context. We've talked about it in the parish context. Mm -hmm. Um, What is your hope for those listening um, to this podcast? What What do you hope they take away from this and how do you hope it affects their lives? Yeah. Well, I would say I hope that that when you listen to this podcast, you say to yourself, what is my encounter story anyway? And and spend some time. And if you're frustrated and you're thinking, I don't have one, then pray about it and continue to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal the time in your life where you felt closest to Jesus. And then go there and articulate it. Spend the time. Also, I would encourage you, if you're listening, to have three encounter conversations with anyone you like. <laughs> And just ask them, at what point in your life have you felt closest to God? And you could probably even ask a non-practicing Christian that question or somebody who might even be a non-believer because people have religious experiences. You might not go to church, but many people have had religious experiences and they don't know where to go with them. I'm not saying it's the case every time, but I, I hope that people listening will have those conversations. And I, my hope is broader than that. Wouldn't it be cool if your membership in a Catholic church, if your regular participation in a Catholic church, if every Catholic church asking people their encounter story was normal, wouldn't that be cool? Like, I find it odd that we can spend a lifetime in the Catholic church and, and we're not asking each other that question. That's really odd to me. We're, it's almost as if we're more concerned about your behavior than we are about your encounter. I just find that strange. And so my hope is after people watch this, listen to this podcast or watch this YouTube video, that they'll start to realize, oh, I can ask that question. And in fact, when I travel, and, and you're going to experience this when we go to our, our, our next trip um, down to the U.S. soon, I often, because I know a lot of people's stories, and because I know their stories, I'll often say, hey, Nicole, I want you to meet Christian. Christian, tell Nicole your story. Mm. <laughs> and I'll often get people at tables who don't even know each other yet when I'm traveling and, and connecting people. I get them to tell their story. And mm. the more we tell our story, the more comfortable we are telling our story. It's one of the reasons I love Alpha so much is people get 
to tell their story. And uh, it might not be their encounter story per se, but they get used to talking about the, the interrelationship between their life and God, and it makes it less weird and more normal. And mm. so my hope is encounter stories will be a lot more common in the parishes that listen to this mm. and hopefully put it into action. Awesome. Yeah, because it's contagious. Mm-hmm. You know, you can really tell the difference when someone is speaking from the heart or when they're not. And um, Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's... an that's a great vision for this. And, um, yeah, so we will extend that challenge. Let's do it. Yeah. Three encounter stories. <laughs> um, go out and have them between the time you're listening to this and the next time you, you come back. And we'd love to hear about it too. Um, uh, yes. Just to recap, we are on YouTube. So if you have those encounter stories, please feel free to comment uh, um, how they went and, and what were the standouts. We'd love to hear about it. Mm-hmm. Um, we're also launching a newsletter. Um, maybe now you can go sign up for that at ronhuntley.com. Um, yeah, and there will be a chance to uh, to respond to us and, and, and maybe share your own encounter story or, or the conversations you had. And um, Yeah, so we look forward to, to hearing from you guys. Um, that being said, mm-hmm. um, can we end in a prayer? Because uh, this, is, this is a vulnerable topic. Like this is holy mm-hmm. ground, right? The, mm-hmm. the encounter story where, you, uh, where Jesus really came and, and, and met you um, in an intimate way. Uh, it takes guts to to do that work and find it on your own, mm-hmm. and then the the conversation can be tough to have with other people as well. But uh, so I I'd love to to finish by by praying into that. Would you want to lead us? Let's do that. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God, I thank you for all of the people listening, and that will listen. I thank you that you it's your idea. You first loved us. You long to be in a relationship with us, so much so that you sent your son. God, give us the grace to experience your presence, to grow in awareness of how you're working in our lives, how close you are, so that we can cooperate with that grace to love better. Lord, I thank you for all of the people who are listening that were, had the benefit of growing up in a Christian home where going to church and praying was just normal. Lord, for those people, finding that encounter story, putting their finger on that encounter story might be hard, but Lord, I know it's possible. So I pray for the grace for them too. That they would not give in to frustration but that they would lean into prayer. And that Holy Spirit, you'll reveal that to them in a way that will bring joy, clarity, purpose, and passion. And Lord, thank you for all of our clergy who work so hard to lead. It can be tiring and exhausting, this whirlwind of ministry, but Lord, may they dust off their encounter story, bring it to life in 3D, and begin to lead from that place of encounter. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Here we go. Hopefully this is the one that you guys see. So, <laughs> thanks for joining us, and, and we'll see you next time. I want to encourage you, as you lead this week, be faithful to God and generous to others. See you next time, and remember, if you're still breathing, you are power.